Hello, listeners. Beyond the Mask, in conjunction with NBC RNA, is pleased to announce that listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how to submit them, go to our website. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Now, on with the show. Stay tuned at the end of today's episode for a special montage tribute to John Gard. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7. Hello everyone, this is Jeremy here, and on this eve of that special gift to the Christian world, it's fitting that we reflect on the ANA gifts over the last 89 years. Countless leaders have guided this organization through many challenges. One such legendary leader was the late John Gard. He was the ANA Executive Director from 1983 to 2001. He served as the face of the ANA and was a mentor to many and a friend to all. He was the perfect gift for his time, and it's fitting that our episode today honor this great visionary CRNA. Sharon, I think we have another good episode today. Oh, I'm looking forward to this one. Yeah, it's going to be good. I think uh, this one has some personal meaning to you, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, I think it does for a lot of people. It does. Well, we want to welcome our guests back in the house again. We've got Sandy and Nancy with us again today, and we're continuing our historical series. Oh, which I love, and we're getting such great feedback. We are. Well, this is stuff that needs to be done and needs to be said, and I'm glad that we've got the medium to be able to do it. I do, too. Yeah. I do, too. So who are we talking about today, Sharon? John Gard. John Gard. You know, and from what I understand from everyone, I never had the pleasure of meeting John, Mm, um, but just an amazing, amazing person. and. He served as executive director for, what, like 18 years or mm-hmm. something of the a He did. And he led the organization through a lot of, I guess, unprecedented <laughs> change throughout that time period and coming into the 21st century. And, you know, today our hope is that we just kind of honor his legacy and his accomplishments and, I guess, him being extraordinary. And that um, he was. Yeah. And if you ever would have met him... I can absolutely promise you he would remember you. He would remember your name. He would remember everything, how he did it. It was an extraordinary memory that he had. I can remember the first time that I served on an AANA committee. Jan Stewart appointed me, and I went to joint committee conference and I was trying to look really smart. <laughs> and I remember I wore my hair up. I had my glasses on, everything during the day, during the meetings. And then everybody goes to dinner in the evening. And so I let my hair down and took my glasses off. And he comes up to me and he says, 
you sure do look different than you did this morning. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, all those people that are there, and yet he would remember something like that. Yeah. People like that amaze me. I mean, you know, I can remember a lot of things when it comes to numbers Mm -hmm. and so forth, and I can remember faces, but a lot of times I don't remember names unless there's some kind Mm -hmm. of trigger for that. And there are people that are really good about those triggers. You know, what is it about that person to make you remember their name? I've got a really good buddy. His name's Jimmy up in New Jersey, and Jimmy remembers everything that you've ever told him about everything anything it is the most amazing thing you can say you know what this day at this time i did this i'll see him a year later and he goes you remember when you talked about that day and that time you did that i'm like dude i I can barely remember it how do you remember that but i mean those type of people do amaze me so so i guess we'll kind of kick it off nancy with you telling us a little bit about john's early life and kind of how he started out in this world Well, John was born in Jacksonville, Illinois, and his parents' names were William and Florence Gard. John's mother passed away when he was really young, and his father remarried. And really, the mother that John really remembered and was very influential in his life was his stepmother. Mm -hmm. His stepmother and his father didn't have any children It was just John and his sibling that he grew up with. But his stepmother was very instrumental in in helping him value education, value service, value doing the best you can do. And he always spoke about her with lots of love in his voice. He really, really respected her and really loved her. He also, in this I know this is a little out of things right now, but he did go to high school in Jacksonville at Root High School, and he graduated in 1953. But before that, John was educated in a one-room schoolhouse. Hmm. Hmm. And he told me one time that when he went to high school, which at that time was very big in his his way of thinking after being in a one-room schoolhouse, he said that was the most intimidating thing he had ever done at that point in time in his life. So anyway, that's just John Gard. Following high school, he served as a lieutenant in the United States Public Health Service in Detroit, Michigan. And after discharge from there, he completed nursing education at the Alexian Brothers Hospital School of Nursing in Chicago. And John was always very loyal to this nursing school. I'm almost positive he was on their board, but he always kept a relationship with where he went to um, nursing school. He completed anesthesia education at St. Francis School of Anesthesia in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and his program director was Sister Yvonne. Sister Yvonne was a character in of herself, but anyway, John was a student that she waited for. She selected him to administer the anesthesia for the first pneumonectomy at St. Francis. And their mutual trust was really strong. She taught John never to act on impulse. Think things through. And they literally glowed when they saw each other. She was very special to him. John was very, very special to her. He received his baccalaureate degree in psychology from the University of Detroit, and he received his master's degree in physiology from Wayne State University School of Medicine. 
So he had an undergrad degree in psychology. Well, that explains a whole lot. You took the words right out of my mouth, Sharon. I was just getting ready to say, I bet that helped him a lot <laughs> along the way. Wow. You know, that uh, I didn't know that, but that explains a whole lot, how he understood people and worked with people. That's huge. Mm-mm-mm. Well, Sandy, talk to us a little bit about how he became a nurse anesthetist and his early career. Well, as Nancy said, he was uh, the prize of Sister Yvonne. She just thought he, he was the greatest thing going, so he finished that particular anesthesia program. And when he did, he began to work as a staff CRNA at the U.S. Public Health Hospital in Detroit, and that was about 1958. Five years later, he was hired as division head of the Department of Anesthesia at Detroit General Hospital. And in 1964, he served as the director of the Wayne State University Program for Nurse Anesthetists. He later became an associate professor and chair of the Department of Anesthesia College of Pharmacy and Allied Health Professions at Wayne State University. And, you know, that's always been a very prestigious school. Mm -hmm. And certainly back in John's day, it was the top of the top. I mean, he he did a good job there. Many of his graduates went on to assume leadership positions throughout the ANA and and other areas, just Christine Zambrinke, Jeff Butler, Karen Ploss, just to name a few. And um, so he, he did a good job in preparing people for the future in most cases. Right. (laughs) <laughs> most cases, there must be a story there. Might not leave that one alone. So. We, we, we won't talk about that bad story. <laughs> so what were some of his major, and, and I know he, he's got so many, we can't hit them all, but what were some of the major contributions that he made, not only to the nurse anesthesia profession, but also the ANA in itself? Well, John was the first male ANA president. He was president in 1972, <laughs> and he was quite young. When he was right. president of ANA. Well, how many years had he been a CRNA at that point? Well, he graduated. 58, so 58. 14 years. That's what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that's something. Now, we didn't let men into the AANA until, what, the 50s? Something I like that. I forgot the date, but it was. It was yeah, in the it 50s. Was, it was around uh-huh. there. And that sounded totally weird, you know, because usually it's the men it's, that won't let the women in. I know. And it was a reverse here, you know. And it's we, pati- we wouldn't let men in. <laughs> and it's particularly weird, given the fact that unlike nursing in general, our gender division is almost 50-50 right. between yeah. females and males. Hey, But we kept them out as yeah. long as we could. Hey, That's you, right. <laughs> you guys know what that comes down to, uh-huh. the green stuff. <laughs> well, you know, I, I do think that having more males is one of the reasons why we make more money, because... You know, if we were a feminized profession, it, it keeps the salaries low. And we even know back whenever I was president, there was a study that came out. And even in the nurse anesthesia profession, there's about an $18,000 difference between males and females. Males still make more money. Wow. I wonder, Sharon, if that has anything to do with the fact that they may be the primary breadwinner, they're more likely to take more extra calls. Did you see that breakdown? No, but one thing, too, is if there's a man in the room, they make him the president of whatever. Mm-hmm. So there are more chiefs, mm-hmm. 
those kind of things. Yeah. Same old things. Yeah. But anyway, we digress. Okay. Well, you know, after John became president of the uh, AINA in 1972, in 1980, he was brought back to the ANA headquarters to become the ANA education director. And then three years later, about 1983, he became executive director of the ANA, and he served in that position from 1983 to 2001 with his retirement then. And during that time, between, say, 1980 and 1983, when he became executive director, there was a lot of stuff going on, Mm -hmm. I, I might say, that was not good. It was internal fighting a lot. And so he became the executive director, and things tended to smooth out mm-hmm. uh, after that. So he was instrumental in ANA's growth and its rise to prominence in the healthcare community. He spearheaded the advancement of nurse anesthesia educational programs to the graduate framework. He never lost sight of having mandatory masters, which was uh, the goal was 1994, but it was implemented in 1998. He also was very supportive in public policy in the federal government affairs, such as the office in Washington, D.C., which now manages one of the largest PACs that we have. I remember being on the board during the road to direct reimbursement, and he was instrumental in that as well. And of course, without John in 1985 to 1989, we would have never got off the ground, the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists, because we have more members than any other country. We are a lion's share of the financial support of IFNA, and he, he did a lot for that. And so in the office, he oversaw the finding of the ANA Publishing, ANA Insurance Services, which we just mm-hmm. celebrated a 30-year anniversary of that, the ANA Foundation, and then the ANA Archives. And I think that archive room, I believe, is named after him. It's on the fourth floor Mm -hmm. of our building Mm -hmm. at ANA, and it is named after him. So he had a long 18-year career. Mm -hmm. John returned to the ANA in 2009 as interim executive director, and he served there until he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Digressing a little bit, before be- from leaving the executive director position and coming back in the interim position, he served as interim executive director of various associations. For example, the National League for Nursing Accrediting Commission, American Psychiatric Nurse Association, and the American Academy of Nursing. Because John knew everyone relations between the AANA and external organizations flourished. John did know everyone. And everyone knew him. (laughs) That's right. I remember flying with him from Washington to Chicago one time, and we were walking down to the gate. We wanted to swap our tickets to get out early, and he said, don't say anything. I know this lady. (laughs) Yeah. At the gate. Oh, I can believe it. In the airport. And he got us switched to another flight because he knew her. So, um, and even still, whenever I was president, and you go to all these different organizations, someone uh-huh. always oh, comes up to you and says, "Oh, you're the president of the nurse anesthetist." I knew John Gard. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, every place that you went. Yeah, 
that's something that, again, we can learn from because it's very important, you know, that he, he was really our ambassador. Mm-hmm. You have a president that's there for one year. Right. But that executive director, they need to be out of the office. They need to be forming these relationships, not only with other areas of nursing, but health, uh, health mm-hmm. affairs and all of that because it's the network. Success is built on networking, yep. and he was a master at it. Mm-hmm. He was so good at it. Rita Rupp remembered this about John or said this about John. She said John had been pre- ANA president, so he knew how it felt. As executive director, he had an unwritten rule, defer to the president, but act as the mentor. He got involved with each president and created a sense of comfort. He mentored the president without a hint. He was the president. Hmm. But I can remember... And I know Christine Zimberki has talked about this. When you were with John, he had a way of putting his hand on the small of your back and pushing you forward to answer the question or discuss whatever it was with the person. He was always right there with you, but you were the president. You were the face at that time of the AANA. He could clear a room quicker than anybody I have ever seen. You know, when you were president, Sharon, you remember, and Nancy remembers that meeting. You have have a lot of receptions for different groups, and I remember one that we had for the military, and we offered a big cocktail reception for the military. They just loved it. It was mm-hmm. the first time we'd ever done it, and we asked next year, well, what would you like to do different? Nothing different. We want the same thing that we had this year. We want another cocktail reception. <laughs> but I had to be somewhere else, and it was a room full of people. And all of a sudden, as Nancy said, John is right behind you. He's got his hand in the small of your back, moving you to the door, basically saying, this party's over, you know, <laughs> right. we're leaving. And so... Well, you have to have kind of a handler yeah. to, to move you through. We called it running the gauntlet, even trying to get to the elevator. One time, Pierce... Yeah. Well, Pierce was with you in the exhibit hall, and I was trying to get to the booth, and yep. it took me two hours and 41 minutes to yep. make it from the elevator to the back of the exhibit hall yep so that that was probably nice now it's kind of the president-elect that kind of helps handle the president and and he had a way as an executive director as nancy said of never putting himself in the president's position you know you could bring up these ideas that you thought was just a wonderful idea and john would say something like well you know historically we looked at that several years Mm -hmm. ago And here were the advantages and disadvantages, Mm -hmm. and this was why we didn't do it. And then all of a sudden, you'd say, that was a bad idea, and you thought it was your idea that you'd not go forward. I mean, he always made sure that you were the star. And um, Larry Hornsby said of him, and I think it certainly describes him, he saw himself as the conductor of a great orchestra. The president was a soloist, but John used the orchestra to make the soloist sound the best. He never tried to usurp the duties of the president to make them look bad, to make them look anything less than president. He made them as strong as they could possibly be. And so with him, you could not fail. Mm -hmm. It was just without a doubt. He also catered to each president's needs and strengths to make you the leader that the orchestra needed at the time. We've always said, you know, the ANA has a way, maybe in the fates, of electing the right president at the right time for the right issue. 
But John, through that 18 years, had seen many, many issues, and he helped that president step to the plate and take care of that issue when we probably may not have known how. Now, one thing I noticed about John, once you became president, you had his undivided attention, and he was side-by-side throughout this next year, and then you go into your annual meeting, and you have Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, and you don't see much different. But Tuesday, he had a way of disconnecting from the outgoing president. Mm-hmm. And there were no more dinners going out with John. By then, he is moving his attention to, to the new president mm-hmm. and the new board that will take office. And he was also very, very good at that. When you think about it, being executive director of an organization like ANA or any other one is one of the hardest jobs you can have. Mm-hmm. You have a different boss every year. Every year. And sometimes they're good, and sometimes they're not so good, and sometimes they're just crazy. You right. know, <laughs> you know, we just gotta yeah. say it. You weren't looking at me, crazy. were you? <laughs> no, no. Maybe I was. Maybe I was a little crazy too. But you need uh, someone to calm all those waters. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I said, we did well as presidents because we had that type of strength behind us. Well, I like the fact that he had been president, so he knew what it was like. To mm-hmm. be president. Right, right. And I think that's pretty important. Yeah, it is. It is. And he knows the role of the president, and he respected the fact that I am not the president. Right. That this person is going to be out front and center as the president of this organization for the next 12 months. Mm-hmm. And that really it went a long way, I think, to guarantee his success for the 18 years. Right. Well, Wanda was president so she knew what it was like to be president and i think that was important too yes yes well clearly john had a long history i'm sure there were awards and accolades that went along with that do you want to share with us some of his awards that he received yes i will do that in 1974 he was named an honorary member of the michigan association of nurse anesthetists in 1992 He received the Distinguished Educator Award from Virginia Commonwealth University. In 1994, he became a fellow in the American Academy of Nursing. In 1998, he received the AANA Helen Lamb Outstanding Educator Award. And in 1999, he received the John C. Thiel Award from Association Forum of Chicagoland. What is... That was sort of a group of executive directors. Okay. And so he he was in that group as well. (laughs) Sure. And then in 2000, he received the AANA's highest recognition, the Agatha Hodgins Award. And posthumously, he was inducted into the ANA Hall of Fame in 2009, the first nurse anesthetist to receive that honor. Wow. And Sandy, you know, I I know that a lot of people – have a lot of good things to say about John Gard. In fact, I don't think I've ever heard anyone, I've been around this industry for 20 plus years, Mm -hmm. say a bad word about John. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just so interesting for someone who's never met him. You know, what are some of the quotes that people say about him? I mean, because it just seems so interesting to me that a man could be held on a pedestal so much as John Gard. Well, before you go on, I want to add this about John. You never heard him say anything really derogatory about other people. I mean, 
the worst he would say is, well, well, Sandy, you know they can be difficult. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a, so that's as close as he was getting to saying, you know, this is not a good situation. In my lifetime, I heard him venture from that one time in which he called a member a very uncomplimentary name. And I will go to my grave holding in my heart secretively who that member was. Uh, but for the most Come part. Come on, Sandy. No, 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 no. Now. no. It would take uh, a lot of gin martinis for me to have my Well, we know what. One night. Yeah. But, um, but at any rate, he, he was always complimentary and you know, they could be difficult, and that meant they could be horrible, mm-hmm. you know, but yeah. that's as close as he got. So, you know, when he received the Agatha Hodgins Award, and that was when we had the Combined World Congress. Oh, at, yeah. It Chicago. was in 2000, Chicago land at Navy Pier. In his acceptance speech, he said, throughout my career as a nurse anesthetist, various groups and individuals made a big difference in orchestrating my accomplishments. All of you had lifted me. I imagine when the committee and board of directors were considering nominees for the award, accomplishments and contributions were considered, but probably went unnoted was how many people opened doors, gave me a hand, allowed me to lean on them when times got rough, and sometimes even carried me. My greatest accomplishment is being honored in front of all of you tonight. Wow. And, um, and he had a zest for life that revealed itself in boundless ways, especially his relationships and the way he went about business. Throughout the many roles he fulfilled during his life, teacher, he was caregiver, executive director, (coughs) mentor. You don't have the COVID, do you? No, I don't have the COVID. (laughs) If I have, I've had the longest ongoing case of it, um, of anyone. I think it's called uh, allergies to long-haired cats. And um, so I may have to move out. But the cats will the not cats. move out. With you know, they're like peanut. And, right. you, know, you may have yeah. to go, Sharon, but yep. peanut's not going That's anywhere. Right. So John always saw the potential. He, he was never one to get bogged down in the munitia. He liked, and I've heard him say, just keep it moving. Mm-hmm. Let's hmm. keep it moving. And approached every challenge with an optimistic outlook. And these were qualities which he attributed to his success. And I remember many times I heard him say, members would come up, we've got to do this, we've got to do that. And his pat answer to that, we will take that under discussion. Right. Which means he may not, he may, you may never hear of it again, but he let the member know at that moment that what they had to say was important. Well, speaking about his zest for life, I mean, John worked hard, as everybody knew, but he played hard, too. And I will still never forget when we used to have these huge, huge parties underwritten by Big Pharma. And I am talking, some of these parties were very extravagant. And we would all dance so hard. And he loved to dance. He <laughs> loved to dance. I've got pictures of him somewhere and he's dancing. He, he danced all night. Never got <laughs> off the dance floor. He had a towel around his neck because he would be sweating from dancing. I mean, wow. but that was back when our, oh my gosh, the well, parties look were where huge. He, look where he spent some of his early years. It was Motown. Yeah. Now, boy, right. he loved all that, all that beat yeah. and all that jive. Listen, I auctioned John Gardoff to Ira Gunn. 
two hour ago? <laughs> How much did she have to she pay? She paid $100. Oh, well, that was cheap. <laughs> it was for uh, Pack. For Pack. Oh, That's my gosh. Funny. He would be the first one on the dance floor and the last one to leave. And the other thing that John liked, he knew where the best restaurants oh, were. Oh, yes. Everywhere in this country. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, to my knowledge, he did not cook at home no i'm not sure that his stove was ever used it was just never used it wasn't the dishwasher wasn't either oh my oh now that's not true when he was in michigan my understanding is when he was in michigan he used to have dinners and he cooked them but when he was in chicago i can vouch for the fact that his stove was never used his oven was never turned on and his dishwasher was not used huh so whoever bought his Man condo, after my own heart. <laughs> those were all brand new. Right. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, John was known for a lot of uh, witty comments he would make, and many of us past presidents mm-hmm. and people that knew him best knew that these were trademark comments for John. And at his retirement, there was a T-shirt prepared mm-hmm. with it. his picture on the front and some of his favorite trademark comments on the back and he always delivered those with a smile and a very playful tone in his voice and on the back of the shirt it was his top 10 sayings number one if it was easy anybody could do it two chicken today feathers tomorrow (laughs) three do the The do how many times have we heard that four (laughs) Too much fluff. You know, you tried to compliment John on some too much fluff, he would say. (laughs) And then five, behave. Oh, yes. All the past presidents received something, a paperweight for their desk, and on it it just says behave. And I hope we try to remember that (laughs) from day to day and year to year. And six was good, too. Somebody would suggest something to him, he'll say, it's in motion. And um, seven... It's never easy. And then eight, Judas Priest. I heard him say that many times. Number nine, too much information. information. (laughs) And number ten, it's going to be wild. I remember that one. There was was one that they didn't put on the T-shirt, but he said it many times during the banquet to the president. It's showtime. It's showtime. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, well, sounds like a, a great man. And are there any kind of closing thoughts as we wrap this one up about John Carr? Well, I have one. At his memorial service, I was asked to make some comments, and then Jackie Rawls. And Jackie was uh, became interim director after John was not able to do it until Wanda was hired as uh, executive director. But I had to mention at that time, In front of my desk, even today, there's a picture, and I say it's the three favorite men in my life. And on the right is John Gard, and the middle was my late husband, Chow Marie, who was made an honorary member of AANA just months before his death in 1990. And then on the other side was Dick Ouellette, my husband now. And so... I look at that picture, and I told uh, John one time when he was at the house, I said, John, I just want you to know 
These are the three favorite men in my life, and you better hope nothing happens to Dick because you're next. (laughs) And John would say, now, Sandy, don't get crazy, Crazy. he would tell me. Don't get crazy. But um, he left an impression on all of us. Yes, he did. All of the past presidents, all of the many, many Members. members, anybody that ever worked with him. He, he was quite a loss, but he left a big footprint. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember, you know, I, I remember a lot of things, but John was a lot of fun. Yes, he was. John loved bunnies. He loved mm. rabbits. And I took a collection with him in the room, actually, and he didn't know what was going on and bought him a bunny and delivered it to him in Chicago. And his name was Higgins. Okay. So John got a real live bunny. A real one? Oh, you didn't tell us it was real. No, it was a live bunny. What happened was when Dick became president the second time, he had his committee meeting or whatever they were uh, called. Joint committee at conference. At Grayland. And so Chow and I had a reception for all the people there at our house. Right. So people came to our house. And you might expect there was a lot of wine flowing that night (laughs) some people turned in early but the people that stayed it was getting late it was then that we decided john really needed a bunny Bunny. rabbit of his own (laughs) and so nancy took it upon herself (laughs) to buy this bunny rabbit took it to john and he was speechless it was a floppy eared he was and so they john named it higgins And it was in this long curio. He had he had the cage built. Yeah, for huh. Higgins. For him, and the rabbit lived there a long time. Now it had to stay in its cage more. I think it bit Susan Calk. The rabbit did. So, 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 so it was then relegated to stay in its cage more. And I think it was Cindy Woods and Mitch Tobin. Mitch Tobin that loved really that really took care of the rabbit. And I remember when Nancy brought him this rabbit. He said, well, what is this? And Nancy said, John, I remember how much you said you like rabbits, and you picked up my your yeah, rabbit. I brought my and rabbit. he brought her rabbit so John could see my it. My live rabbit. And he walked around with that rabbit all night as the party was going on. <laughs> and Nancy said, and you picked up that rabbit. And it was obvious. He said, well, thank God I didn't pick up a child. <laughs> <laughs> well, can I say one last thing about John? Going out to dinner with John was unique. And I remember the first dinner that Larry Hornsby went out with the board. And he went home, and he told Carol, his wife, he said, I don't know if I can do this. He said, everything was okay till we went out to dinner. And he said, but everybody was eating off of everybody else's plate. <laughs> and that was the truth, because John would say, oh, is that good? Yes. And, and everybody did it. I mean, everyone right. did it. But John, that was pre-COVID. Yes. Yeah, exactly. But that John had he loved ice cream, two kinds, coffee and vanilla. Mm-hmm. And he wouldn't buy it because he would eat the entire thing right before he went to bed. He'd go to bed and then he'd start thinking about it and get up and eat some more. And but what he would do at dinner is I would usually order. Vanilla ice cream with strawberries on it. And he'd say, with two spoons. <laughs> yeah, I remember that um, that joint committee meeting in, at Grayland. 
I don't know if Grayland still does it, but on every floor they have freezers with Hagen Dazs ice oh cream. Oh, yeah. And John said he could not sleep. He absolutely could not sleep knowing that that ice cream was right outside his door. So oh, he was sure. really addicted to that ice cream. Oh, my gosh. You know no. who else is addicted to ice cream? The skinniest person I know, Carol Dosher. Really? <laughs> she eats ice cream like That's you would not. not right, it is it? It's not, not right. fair. Right. It is not fair. And after I finished my presidency, we left and went to Yellowstone for a week. My dad and my kids and their significant others and carol doisher went and my trainer diana so every place we stopped carol gets all of this ice cream to eat <laughs> i mean everywhere wow everywhere she eats yeah. it for dessert she'll fair, eat it for breakfast she eats it all the time <laughs> Jeez. I'm sure her and John shared ice cream on more than one occasion. <laughs> well, this has been great to learn more about John Gard, and I'm sure our listeners are going to love this episode, especially mm-hmm. the ones that knew John and had personal experiences. And hopefully some of our younger listeners will hear this and understand a little bit more about John and, and all the good he did for the ANA and nurse anesthetists. I agree. Well, ladies, I think that's a wrap. I believe so. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you very much. Always a pleasure to have you. Thank you for being here. Sharon, well, let's wrap her up. Let's do it. All right. We want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mass with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. If you like our show or want to know more, check out our other episodes on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review, but only if it's positive. There's enough negativity in the world. Until next time. It's a wrap. We received several submissions of memories, stories, and thoughts about John Gard over the past few weeks and want to end today's episode with a special montage of some of those submissions in remembrance of John. My name's Chris Betton, and I'm the former Senior Director of Communications for the AANA. I was hired by John in 1998, and it truly was an honor to work for him. He had this way of keeping everyone on staff focused and confident at all times. I knew almost from the moment I met John for my first interview that I was in the presence of someone who would leave an indelible impression on me if, of course, I was fortunate enough to land the job. I did, and not long after, I was in D.C. with John and a couple other staff colleagues for a nursing leadership meeting. And we were seated around a large conference table in a room full of nursing's heavy hitters, Mary Wakefield and many others. And I will tell you, throughout the course of the meeting, it was amazing how often I heard these five words. John, what do you think? I already knew I had landed in a good situation when I joined the ANA, but that sealed it for me. John really was special. This is Janice Isler. I was the AANA president in 2013. I had the privilege of working with John Gard on several occasions and watched him from afar for over 25 years. Comments were always made about him remembering everyone's name or something special about their family. Many CRNAs fondly tell stories of when he tapped them on the shoulder to say that they had leadership qualities and should pursue AANA leadership activities. 
To sum it up, John Gard had a way to make people feel special. That enduring quality made him loved by friends, AANA members, and other professional associates. I'm Peggy McFadden from Kentucky, the former ANA president, 1987 and 1993. I've been invited by Sharon and Jeremy of Beyond the Mask to pay tribute to John Gard, former president and former executive director of the ANA. John was an iconic figure in the ANA, a mentor to me and many others, and a dear friend. So this is indeed an honor. Sharon asked us to make a short, concise comment about our years with John. I don't know of anyone who can make a brief statement about John Gard. I had the pleasure of serving on seven boards with John, two of those as president. I came to know him quite well. He was what they call a good man. I first got to know John in 1982 while a newly elected board member from Region 2. The board, under the guidance of Patricia Fleming, was in the process of replacing the executive director. It was a period of immense turmoil. I didn't know what I'd gotten myself into. It was an indoctrination into ANA politics. It was a period of learning. Ultimately, the board selected John as our new executive director. It was one of the best decisions we made that year. John was a CRNA, first and always. Contrary to some of today's thinking that the CEO should be a non-CRNA and hold a degree in business, John brought with him a persona of professionalism, kindness, and confidence. He brought experience, the ability to manage people and things, and he brought with him an ability to respect and educate people. His background was in education. John was a gentleman, caring and with a great sense of humor. His humor was inflected in his voice, which was contagious. I often found myself speaking as he did. I can't imitate it now, it's too much time has passed. But he had this cute use of sayings. I'm not sure he was even aware of his using them. One that still stands out for me was, it's showtime. He would use that when trying to gather everyone together for an event like the opening ceremonies. John had what I called class. Now he wasn't perfect, none of us are. But John had the ability to do the right thing at the right time, and always with class. Other leaders thought he was great too. I attended several meetings with him and nurses from ANA and other specialty groups. They thought he walked on water. All he had to do was be there. If he spoke, they listened. He did the same thing with non-nurses. With his staff, John had a management style that fostered loyalty and respect for him and for the members. I used respect a lot when thinking and talking about John. He knew how to hire good people, and he gave them the latitude to do their jobs without micromanaging. I would be remiss if I did not mention his executive assistant, Rita Rupp, who kept him straight and also worked at the pleasure of the board. John, Rita, and General Counsel Jim Blumenreich made my life easier when returning to the board in 1991. After a five-year hiatus, I was grateful to them. In 1986, as incoming president, I presented the notion of ANA having its own malpractice insurance company, a pretty far-out notion for a bunch of nurses. Times were getting tough in the industry, and we were afraid of finding ourselves uninsured. The board approved it. John, Jean, and Mark Krzmarczyk, the finance director, took the idea and ran with it. Their hard work, dedication, and John's hiring the right people 
John Fetcho and Diane Keegan to manage it, gave ANA its most successful member service, which continues to this day as AANA Insurances. This is what John could do. In my second term in 1993, we had to deal with Medicare again with a single payment issue. We fought hard for 100% going to the provider of the service. We lost. But John said, we got the 50-50 split. This was a win. He was always the optimist. I could go on. There are just so many stories to tell. But let me end with one more. When I returned to the board in 1991 as president-elect, I learned the board had been researching for a new office building. We had outgrown the Higgins Road property. They had narrowed the choices to two, a building that belonged to the American College of Surgeons, complete with the cadaver lab, and one in Park Ridge. Sitting next to John at the deciding board meeting, I asked him if he wanted the Park Ridge property. Humble as he was, he never asked for anything for himself, not even a salary increase. So humble as he was, and after a long drawn out, well, I knew what he wanted. AANA still resides today at 222 Prospect Avenue in Park Ridge in John's building. In closing, our profession and the ANA lost an icon with John's untimely passing from pancreatic cancer. I'm grateful to be on the mass for giving this tribute to him. He was really a good man. There will never be another John Guard. This is Jan Menino. I was AANA president from 1987 to 1988. John was the heart and soul of the AANA, and his legacy has helped the profession propel to its highest level. I like to think of him as Mr. Anesthesia. He intuitively knew what would work and what CRNAs would question. The respect John had for his colleagues was mutual and a major reason why AANA has always had high membership numbers. I knew John when we were both program directors and building curriculum with medical schools. We shared ideas, resources, and were concerned about what was the best for the students. Later, he was executive director when I first went on the AANA board. I recall one time when there was a conflict between a board member and one of John's staff. In his characteristic style of maintaining peace while being a leader, he solved the situation by saying, the members elect them, the staff has to live with them. Speaking of style, John always looked like the cover of Gentleman's Quarterly with his bespoke suits, colorful ties, and shiny shoes. His charm and style were noted by everyone he met. He knew the right thing to say to make people feel good, and that characteristic served us well when coalition building, advocating for the profession, and achieving legislation and regulations. John and I were on the negotiating team meeting directly with HHS on our Medicare reimbursement. He was an expert on arguing the value of CRNA practice and education and knew how to effectively participate in debate. Much of our success was directly related to John's persistence and knowing how to get CRNA support. Leadership was not just a concept for John. He lived it and grew to be stronger, which is reflected on our profession. There are many times I want to pick up the phone and get John's sage advice, or simply talk or dish a little dirt. I am a better nurse anesthetist and a better person, and we have a better profession because of John Guard. Thank you for the chance to participate. 
Jackie Rawls, AANA President, Fiscal Year 2009. John Gard was the Executive Director of the AANA from 1983 through 2001. While I was President, he returned to serve as Interim Executive Director in February of 2009. I had the privilege of working alongside him until his untimely death in June of 2009. I have so many memories from that time period, but one of the best ones is from John's very first day back in the office. He was provided an iPhone. John wasn't known to be very technologically savvy. In fact, everyone who knew him knew this, and he said he really wasn't that interested in a smartphone. He was talked into it for the convenience features, mainly for being able to get your email without having to use your computer, because he wasn't a big fan of the computer either. Imagine my surprise when later that same day, I received a text message from John telling me he was at the hotel to pick me up. A few weeks later, we were attending a meeting in downtown Chicago. John walked up and greeted me saying, this thing is marvelous. I can sit in my chair and get all of my emails, answer them, talk to someone on the phone, and even text message someone. I love this iPhone. I can't do without it. Many of John's friends and colleagues were stunned at his ease in adapting to the iPhone and his positive endorsement of it. I will say that I know a big part of his success was very good coaching from Luis Rivera, who is the Senior Director of AANA Executive Affairs. This is Dick Willett. I was the AANA President from 85, 86, 89, 90. John was an icon, a great Executive Director, and was certainly a pleasure to work with. But one thing that people don't really know about John is he loved to dish, but I can assure you all of it was always positive. I met him at a fall assembly when I was just getting started in leadership and he approached me and introduced himself to me and I told him who I was and where I lived and he asked about my family and I walked away and I didn't see him again until almost a year later at annual meeting and he approached me at that meeting called me by my name asked me how my family was wow. it and was I thought, amazing wow yeah what a guy this is Rita Rupp I've been invited to share some of my thoughts and special memories of having known and worked for John Gard. I was employed by John as an executive assistant in 1988. I was hired at a time when he was looking to expand the staff in the executive unit. Ira Gunn had recommended me for the position. I knew Ira as we had utilized her as a credentialing consultant at the American Nurses Association, where I worked in the years prior to coming to AANA. My position in working with John was in support of the Board of Directors policy and activities associated with the board. In addition, I also assisted with liaison activities with external nursing organizations and staffed the Council for Public Interest in Anesthesia. While I had the opportunity to learn much about John and working so closely with him, both as a boss and a friend, what was very evident to me from the early days of joining AANA was seeing a man who had a deep passion and love for this association. It was evident in the interest he took in individual members, as well as the respect and attention he gave in his work in supporting the officers and members of the board of directors. I can recall that it was common practice for John at the end of the day to return telephone calls to individual members 
who had called him and often were seeking his advice. Those were calls he never delegated to any staff. He enjoyed talking to the members and saw that as part of his responsibilities as executive director. The daily phone calls with the president often ran into the late afternoon or evenings and were never missed, as I recall. Some might say that if John had a weakness, it may have been in not delegating enough of his work as chief executive, not this man. He had his finger on the pulse of everything essential that impacted the AANA and its members, from the Park Ridge office to the DC office. He was right there in the center of it all with an unparalleled open door policy as an executive, making sure that the necessary resources were in place to assist the board and the staff in meeting the needs of the members of the association. John personally played a leadership role in many of the activities engaging the external nursing organization. A very early activity that he engaged in was leading in the formation of the National Federation of National Specialty Nursing Organizations. If one wants to look for evidence of the imprint John left on the profession of nursing, I would suggest to look no further than his induction into the ANA Hall of Fame in 2009. I will always remember John as a giant of a man, the kind of man that had an enormous capacity for caring, and at the same time, a man that was judged by so many to be pretty consistently at the top of his game. For me, I have had the good fortune and opportunity to have known this man as a great boss, mentor, and friend. My name is Linda Williams. I was the AANA president from 1998 to 1999. It was a pleasure, an honor, and good fortune to have John Gard as the executive director for all the years I was on the AANA board of directors. John was the ultimate gentleman. It was the rare occasion when he was seen not wearing a coat and tie. His idea of casual attire was no tie. When I first took office, he asked what kind of restaurants I preferred. Then he clearly said that any restaurant in which eating with one's hands was required was out and it was not negotiable. John was excellent in keeping the current AANA president informed about anything and everything that was happening in the healthcare world. He would ask for advice, input, our impressions, and would always respect everything we had to offer. All too many times, however, his calls were about some crisis, mainly one involving Medicare. We were in an intense fight for the removal of the requirement of supervision of CRNAs from Part A in the Medicare rules. It was clear then how meaningful an earlier statement from Scott Foster was. Near the end of his term, Scott Foster told me that any day you did not get a phone call from John Gard was to be considered a good day. Scott knew. One memorable call was in the evening while cooking dinner. He called and told me I had to be in D.C. for an important press conference at 9 a.m. the next morning. With the two-hour time difference between the East Coast and Denver and the fact that there were no more direct flights to D.C. from Denver that night, I was unsure how that could happen, but it did. 
John can make anything happen. His advice was always appreciated and always on point. John Gard was one of a kind. There will never be another John Gard. There will never be another John Gard. So Sharon, Jeremy, thank you again for allowing me to take this trip down memory lane with my old friend. Bye now. Today's show was made possible by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. And thanks for your support of Beyond the Mask. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment, or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible, and we would appreciate your support. OSA EMR is a free anesthesia EMR developed by CRNAs that you can download and use on an iPad. Our nonprofit mission is to make sure that solo and small practice CRNAs can digitally record their anesthetics. To learn more, visit OSAEMR.com to download and consider donating to our cause. Remember, for CRNAs, data is destiny. Like what you're hearing? Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.